You know, I came to the, a conclusion this last week, uh, and that's that I hate watching movies with my daughter. Now, uh, let me be more specific. I don't, I don't hate watching movies with her as much as I hate watching movies that she's already seen, or maybe she's read the book. And here's why. My daughter loves to give away spoilers. You know people like this in your own lives that, that they'll watch a movie and they, they almost like can't wait to tell you what next. They're just like, oh, I just, just wait to see what comes next. Wait to see what happens with this character. And I'm, I'm more of like, stop it. Because I'm one of those guys that I, when I watch a movie, when I read a book, like I want to be moved by the tension. I want to be moved by the drama. I want to experience those love eyes and, and feel the conflict and the tension that's happening. I want to experience that. And I know like some of you, maybe like, when you read a book, you're like, you, you go to the back, five, ten pages, and you read the last chapter because you want to find out whether it's worthwhile reading or not. Some of you are like that. But I'm not. I, I, I want to experience all of those things in the moment. There is one area, though, that I wish that I could flip ahead, that I could know the end of the story, or I could flip 10 pages ahead and, and read what's happened, and that's in life. Because our lives are full of a lot of uncertainty at times, right? Don't we wish we could kind of know when this COVID thing's going to end? Don't we wish we could skip through the uncertainty that we just know, like, hey, we've, we've got two more months of this, and then we're out of it. Or, or maybe like we wish that um, we knew like, you know, are, are my kids going to go back to school? Am I going to go back to school? Because there, there's a lot of uncertainty around what that looks like and, and masks and, and what our kids will go through and, and will we get COVID? And there's a lot of uncertainty in life and that uncertainty can so often lead to fear, can lead to making decisions based out of that uncertainty. But if we could just flip ahead... We know the end of the story. We know how, it, uh, how things end, and we can make decisions in the present. We'd be better informed, and yet so often we don't know how it will end. More often than not, we don't know how it will end. And so how do we live as people of peace in the midst of uncertainty? How do we live as godly people at, with, with God's peace in our hearts? How do we make decisions faithful to God with the peace of God in our lives, even though we don't know what the future holds? That we can't flip ahead a chapter. We can't flip ahead a year or a month or a week and know what our future holds for us. There is a character in the Bible, and he's one of my favorites, and that is Abraham. And Abraham dealt with a lot of uncertainty in his life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Now before we get to this specific, uh, specific story, I just want to talk a little bit about Abraham's life as a whole. Because Abraham lived much of his life in uncertainty. Uh, Abraham was a, a man living in Ur with his family. Now, he didn't have children at this time. He, he was childless. He was a man, an elderly man, and had probably given up all hope, all ideas that he's going to have any children. And, and God appears to him one day, and he says this, I want you to leave your family uh, the, the family that you have there in Ur, I want you to take you know, your wife, your, your close servants, and, and everything you own, I want you to step out in 
faith. I want you to leave. I'm not going to tell you where you're going, but, but I just want you to go. Now, now, I don't know how many of you have moved across the country. This is nothing like that. Because Abraham is a nomad. He's leaving everything he's ever known. He's leaving the protection of his family, the safety of his family. He's leaving everything that, that, that family provides, the, the wealth, the security. He's leaving it all to go to a place he doesn't know. But we see what happens. Abraham steps out in faith. He does what God asks him to do. And his life after that is full of, of obedience and, and never doubting God. Right? No, that's, that's not what happens. In fact, we see uh, one story where Abraham uh, and his, his family has to go down into Egypt. And, and Abraham has this fear, this uncertainty. He says, listen, my wife is very beautiful. Sarah is very beautiful. And, and this is my fear, that if we go down into Egypt, Pharaoh is going to see her and want to make uh, her one of his wives and then what will happen to me? What will he do to me so that he can marry Sarah? Like, this is a fear that's going through his mind. And so he says to Sarah, listen, tell everybody that you're my sister, which isn't a complete lie. Sarah is his half-sister. But, like, the, the purpose of that is deception. The purpose of that is Abraham tries to control the situation through deception, through lying. He says, I'm going to take this uncertainty and I'm going to try to bring some amount of certainty into the situation to protect myself. And God says, no, 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 no. Like, Abraham, you've trusted in yourself and not me. Later on, we see Abraham, again, still childless, and it's been years and years and years of having no children, and Sarah comes to him one day and says this, listen, remember all those promises of God, like God promised that if you would leave, he would give you a land and a people, and uh, he would make you a blessing. So uh, Abraham knew that, that if he obeyed God, that, that he would have children through Sarah, with Sarah. And Sarah comes and says, well, listen, this, this thing isn't happening. And so how about you sleep with my maidservant Hagar and bring about the promises of God through her? Now, this would have been the perfect opportunity for Abraham to say, listen, listen, that's Sarah. God had said it's going to be through you, not through Hagar. This would have been a perfect time for, for Abraham to, to take a step in faith and, and say, listen, God, we trust you. I trust you. It's not what happens to Abraham, though. Abraham does indeed sleep with Hagar, and they have a son, Ishmael. Disobedience. You see, Abraham, once again, instead of putting his full trust and his full faith in God, trusts in himself. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of not being positive about what will happen next, Abraham takes things into his own hands. Have you ever been guilty of that? Knowing what God wanted you to do, knowing what, what faithfulness to God looked like, but maybe saying, listen, I'm going to do this my own way. Ultimately, that's what sin is. It's doing it our own way. Doing what we want instead of doing what we know God wants. 
And some point in Abraham's life, we see the fulfillment of this promise that's been given. God gives Abraham a son through Sarah, Isaac. Could you imagine holding in your arms that which you had waited decade after decade after decade for? Knowing that what God had promised, he had brought to fulfillment in Isaac. I love what uh, the Apostle Paul says about the situation. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and became the father of many nations. Now, that, that may not make a lot of sense, that the, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Like, you, we have to understand what hope is. Biblical hope is not like, I hope something happens. Biblical hope isn't like, well, I, I, I have this dream. I have this hope. I have this desire. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is always based in assurance. God has made a promise. We can have hope. We can have assurance that it will take place. And so, uh, against all hope, against all certainty, in other words, through the natural way of thinking about things, there wasn't any assurance but yet Abraham, in hope, in assurance, in the promises of God, believed. He wasn't perfect along the way, because none of us are. But in hope, in faith, he believes. He trusts in God. And now he holds in his arms his son. I love what Hebrew says about faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. For so long, Abraham waited in hope, waited for that which is unseen, but now he holds that hope in his hands. Some time later, Isaac has progressed in age. And God once again shows up to Abraham and begins to speak, to do something unlikely, to ask the big ask of Abraham. And we'll see what Abraham's response is in Genesis chapter 22. Because I think something has happened to Abraham along the way that, that has caused him to step out in faith and fully trust in God. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Let's stop right there for a second. Let's, let's deal with this tension. Because some of us may know the rest of the story, but Imagine you're Abraham in that moment, and God shows up and says, hey, I want you to sacrifice uh, your son, the one that you've been waiting decades for, the one that is the promised child. Now, number one, let's deal with the fact that uh, anyone telling us to kill our sons out of obedience, like that would be a hard ask. A hard ask. But Abraham has this, like, tension in his mind. Because on the one hand, he, 
uh, God has told him, listen, it is through Sarah and it is through Isaac that all of your generations will come. All of the descendants will come through Sarah, through Isaac. And on the other hand, he has this tension of God has just told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. How do these two things reconcile? How do they make sense? I can imagine Abraham live like... Uh, and I love what the author of Hebrews says. He says, Abraham uh, brought these two things together, and he says, he must have figured that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Now, it's never happened before. God had never done that, that way before, and yet Abraham's like, well... I guess God can do that. And I don't understand it. I don't have everything filled out in my brain. I, I definitely can't bring this about myself. And so I'm going to just simply trust God and to do what God is asking me to do. And we see what has happened in Abraham's faith. Listen to the words. Listen to how he says things as we go forward. Listen to the assurance in his voice. The hope in his voice. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Now, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know that God is faithful and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried himself the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together, and Abraham, uh, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide. Not has provided through you, Isaac. He will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went up together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid on him the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God. Because you have not withhold from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering and said of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This hope that Abraham had transformed his life. This assurance, this willingness to step out in faith, to trust the promises of God, transformed his life. 
to the point where, where he was willing to leave everything he'd ever known, and yes, stumbled on the way, but, but now at the end of the story, we see God saying, now I know, like you're in, you're committed. This, this, this assurance, this hope has completely transformed you, so now I know beyond all doubt, you will follow me. Hope transformed Abraham's life. We see the same thing happening with the disciples. Now, Jesus has called uh, men to follow him, these, these 12 disciples to follow him. And, and they are filled with all sorts of ideas of, of what Messiah would, would, would bring. Most of their ideas revolved around the idea of a Messiah being a political Messiah, a Messiah who would come, who would, would take Israel to the next level. They would, he would conquer Rome, kick out Rome, destroy all of their enemies. Like that was their idea of a Messiah because there had been so many Messiahs that had popped up right around the birth of Jesus who said, I'll kick out Rome and I'll bring on a, the new Israel. I'll make Israel great again. And every one of them had failed. And so their idea of Jesus was this political Messiah who would kick out Rome and, and bring in this new Israel that would be fantastic. He would be declared king, this Messiah, and, and it'd be a thousand years of, of, of peace. And, and so the, what we see in the midst of this, is in the midst of their hope, these false hopes that they had, we see them bickering about who's going to sit on Jesus' left and right, and Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're saying. Time and time again, they're thinking on a completely earthly level. And so when Jesus on Good Friday is crucified, what happens to the disciples? Their hopes, their man-made hopes are completely destroyed. Peter, upon seeing Jesus arrested, denies him. Like, I don't know that guy. I don't know who he is. Not my friend. At the cross, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, we see all of the disciples deserting Jesus. They're hiding away in a room. They're, they've gone except for one. All of their hopes, all of the certainties that they thought that they had about what Jesus would do and who he is have been completely destroyed because their Messiah is hanging on a cross. We see these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and, and Jesus shows up kind of in disguise. They don't recognize him. And they're telling them all about their hopes, like we hoped that what he would do would lead to the, the restoration of Israel. Like they, they shared with him all of these hopes, but he's died. You see, all of their hopes, all of their assurances were wrong. It wasn't biblical hope, and that's what Jesus had tried to get through their minds time and time again, that you're hoping in the wrong place. Your assurance is in the wrong place, and because of that, you're doing all of these things and making all of these decisions that's going to lead you in the wrong way. It's going to lead you to a place of making decisions out of fear or what you can get out of it instead of what I'm calling you to do. So what happens then when Jesus is resurrected? 
when Jesus shows up in that upper room and, and they see him and, and later on Thomas, doubting Thomas, like any one of us would have been any better. They touch his hands, the side where the, the nails had been and, and they're transformed. You see, true and authentic hope transformed the disciples. It transformed those two guys on the road to Emmaus. They, they recognized Jesus and, and like they're filled with joy and hope again because true and authentic hope transforms the way that we live in the here and now. You see, the disciples like stepped out in faith. This hope had transformed them. And so they're no longer hiding away in a room, scared about what might happen to them, but now they say, listen, we have to tell the world about this good news. Jesus Christ has conquered death. And more than that, because we are his followers, because we are in Christ, we too will conquer death. And that's the best news ever. That's the best hope ever. Yeah, I may die. So what? I've already moved from, from death into life because I am in Christ Jesus. I think so often we focus on the wrong hope in this world as well. How many of us have put our hope in money? Like, this will save me. If I, if I can just collect a big enough bank account, this will save me. And then how many people have lost everything? Oh, if only, and this is going to, like, especially this season right now, I'm going to step on toes. If only we can elect the right guy to political office or the right gal, like, it'll bring in this new Christian kingdom of God here in the United States. Ouch. Now, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying, but I'm like, where is our hope? Is it in who the next leader may be? Or does our hope transcend who the leader may be? See, true, authentic hope transforms us. Why? Because we know the end of the story. The disciples went out in hope and, and proclaimed this good news and their message to us as well is the same. Like, proclaim this good news. Why? Because we know the end of the story. That because we are in Christ, we too will be raised. And then at the end, uh, John in Revelation talks about, like, what happens at the end of the story. Like, the way end of the story, right? After God has, has set the world right again, he's brought judgment on evil, we see what? God has created a new garden of Eden here on earth. And we see the city of God coming down and, and God saying, listen, now the dwelling of God is with man. And so the end of the story is God has created a garden. Everything back in Genesis 1 has been restarted. And we will live with God forever in this paradise. We will have life everlasting. And so here's the question. Yeah, you may kill me. I may die. But so What? Because I know the end of the story. And because I know the end of the story, that hope transforms how I live in the here and now. It allows me to say, listen, I may die, but I don't need to fear that. Because I have assurance of what God will do. 
I can live my life in a different way. I can proclaim my faith even around the world. I can proclaim my faith to, 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 even though it may cost me my life. And we've seen so many missionaries, we've seen so many believers being willing to go out and share this good news even if it meant that they die. Why? Because they had this hope. They had this assurance. And it transformed the way that they lived. You see, knowing the end of the story, remembering the future, helps us be transformed in the present. It helps us live at peace in the presence. Remembering the future gives us peace in the present. Remembering the future gives us peace in the present. How many of our decisions are based out of fear? How many of the things that we do are based out of, well, I don't know what will happen, so I'm going to do things my own way? And how many of our decisions are based on the knowledge that God has promised to be with us? God has promised that we will be raised to new life, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything will be set right again. How are we making our decisions? Because there will be times that God will ask you to do things that on earth make no sense. There will be times that God will ask things of you that just, like, God, I don't understand. And God's saying, listen, I didn't ask you to understand. I asked you to be faithful. I asked you to obey. Which Abraham will we be? The one who time and time again takes things into their own hands and messes up or the ones that say, I don't understand, but God, I believe you and I trust in you. See, a knowledge of the future, remembering the future, gives us peace in the present. I love what uh, Peter says, or excuse me, Paul says in Romans 12. He says, as we live our lives, if we, at the beginning of verse 12, he says, uh, be a living sacrifice, right? It's, it's somewhat, a living sacrifice is that thing that has already given up its own uh, hopes and dreams. It says, listen, God, I'm, I'm devoted completely to you. I, I'm, I'm yours alone. And this is what Paul says about uh, hope. It says, be joyful in hope. Do you know, like, miserable Christians? You see, hope transforms our joy. Like, we should, not, not happy all the time, but, like, we should have this inward joy in our lives. Be joyful in this hope. It's something to be excited about. Paul could say this despite the fact that he had been through suffering and turmoil in his own life, and yet he's able to say, listen, I am joyful in this hope. Even though I go through persecution, even though I bear the marks of being tormented on my body, I can be joyful in this hope. Next he says, be patient in affliction. Like, that's harder, right? To be patient in our affliction? To be patient as we go through hardships? 
to trust in God in the midst of those hardships. And the last thing he says is this, be patient in prayer. See, in the midst of our afflictions, in the midst of the hardships, he says, be faithful in prayer. Continue to talk with me. Because why? Because otherwise, in the midst of all of these troubles, you're going to be tempted to do things your own way. And yet, if you're, if you're faithful in prayer, if you keep uh, being patient and, and praying and praying, like, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And it doesn't mean that my ass, it doesn't mean what I tell you is always going to be easy, but it does mean that I'm going to be with you no matter what. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Excuse me. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. My encouragement to you this morning is as we go through a time of great uncertainty in our lives and in our world, that we don't know what the future may hold. We don't know what the next month or two months or six months or six years looks like. That in the midst of this, Hold on to hope. Hold on and remember the true hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that, that sometimes the things will, bad will happen in this world. They will. It won't be all sunshine and roses. But we know that God and Christ is, is present in the midst of it. And we know the end of the story where God sets everything right. And because of that, I know things will be all right. Because God is in control. And I have this hope within me that no matter what happens to me, I'll be resurrected. I'll share in God's future. Life more abundant and everlasting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, pray for us. As we go through so many uncertainty in life, when, when things don't make sense, and in the midst of uncertainty, there's, there's room for fear. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would drive out fear, would give us a sense of godly peace as we remember our hope, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work more and more in our lives, reminding us of, of what this hope means for us. And so, Father, may you speak to us. May you speak to us as individuals, and I pray that you would speak to Beulah Missionary Church as there are all sorts of uncertainties happening here right now, that you would speak to them, that you would guide them, and that you would be with us as we live our lives. May we walk in faith. May we walk in obedience to you. And we ask all of this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ the one through whom you raised from the dead, you raised from the dead and through whom we also will be raised. Amen.